It is a great privilege to be with you. I count it a great joy and honor to be here to proclaim the word of the Lord both to you and with you and to myself. I'll preach to the choir some too, okay? Y'all don't go to sleep, okay? If they start laughing, I'll know you're doing something funny. I bring greetings to you this morning from both Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary as well as Oaks Church Raleigh where I have the privilege of being a part of a church planting team. And I bring greetings because it's through great churches like this one, it's through uh, cooperative ministry that we're able to do what we're able to do, that we're able to train up men and women and then send them out through local churches, to plant churches, to um, go to literally to the uttermost parts of the world. And that is no small task. That is the task with which our Lord has commissioned us to. So thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for giving. Thank you for partnering with the Southern Baptist Convention and the way you do. This morning we are going to be looking at what is, to some, a difficult passage of Scripture. We're going to be evaluating what this gospel is that the Scriptures talk about. We're going to be trying to understand what it means to be a child of the King. Now, many of you may say to me, now, Brother Jonathan, I've I've been a believer twice as long as you've been alive. That may be true. But as we live and as we experience life, it becomes all the more important that we continue to cling to the gospel, the true gospel. And we continue to be reminded of this gospel's implications for our life. This passage of Scripture is difficult because it confronts false gospels that arise both from the church and outside of the church. This gospel confronts an easy believism that says it doesn't take much to be a Christian. But it also confronts a legalism that says you have to clean your act up before God can do anything with you. And so our passage today addresses head-on the true gospel. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I pray that you will turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If you're there, just let me know by saying amen. Amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, 
that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but you are under grace. May we pray together. Our gracious God and King, come now. Speak to us by the power of your word. Lord, by your spirit, convict us. Lord, may we cling to the true gospel and understand what it has called us to. Lord, may this gospel transform every part of us. For we are not the old man, but we have been made new. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray by the power of your Spirit you would visit us, comfort us, convict us, change us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, what we have jumped into in this biblical text is an ongoing discussion about the relationship of the law to the gospel. Do we become Christians by being obedient to the law, or is God doing something else in the person of Jesus Christ? See, the Apostle Paul is, is he's trying to show us that the law has a very different purpose than what has been Believed. How many of you have heard this? Maybe some of you have said it. Now, son, you're not doing the things you're supposed to do. You need to clean your act up. I tell my son this all the time. Son, you need to clean your act up. You see, the problem is this is motivated by legalism. It's motivated by my understanding of what I think my son should be and do. The problem with this is it's antithetical to the gospel. Think about this. Let's hop back into Romans 5, just into verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded... Grace abounded much more. See, what this passage of Scripture is telling us is that law increases sin. Now, a very practical way of this, I have a three-year-old. How many of you have three-year-olds or have had one? Explains enough, doesn't it? You get it. His name's GW, and if I say GW, now look. Daddy doesn't want you going near that fire. Don't go near the fire. What do you think he's going to do? What that law shows is the deception, the deceit, and quite frankly, 
the evil that is within him. You see a speed limit sign, what do you think? I bet I can get away with at least ten over. The law shows us our sinfulness. In fact, if we were to turn over to Galatians 3, in fact, let me read this for it. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. The point is, the law curses us. The law can't save us. You can't be good enough for God. That is both scary and freeing at the same time. It's scary because that means that I can't be in charge. It's freeing because I understand that I'm not in charge. If I were left up to my own will and desires, I'd be a wreck. Men, just ask your wife. They'll agree with me. So if the law does not save us, if the law is not that which makes us right with Christ, if we can't be good enough, does that mean all hope is gone? Does that mean we can just do what we want? And it'll be okay. No. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses a rhetorical question and this is what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue just doing whatever we want? And the answer is no. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, you have an emphatic. It's not just no. It is the Apostle Paul screaming no. It's no on top of no. It's certainly not, absolutely not, no way. And then what the Apostle begins to unpack for us is how it is that our, what this gospel is and then how it impacts our life. See, what the Apostle begins to tell us is that there's a fundamental shift in who you are. In this passage of Scripture, there are 12 indicatives. Do I have any English teachers in the house? Any? One? What's an indicative? Do you remember? It's a statement of fact. It's stating what is true. And there are 12 gospel indicatives. And what these indicatives say is that we are fundamentally different than what we used to be as an unbeliever. We are different people. Think about This is not new to us. This is not new. I remember when my son was born. I was not just Jonathan anymore. I took on a whole new identity. I've been dada, daddy. Couldn't just do the things that I wanted to do anymore because now... I have a son. I have responsibilities that are different. I don't live by my schedule anymore. I live by my three-year-old schedule now. I'm not just associated as a dad. I now have a new identity as a dad. It's fundamental to who I am. It's not something I add on. And this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. 
We are not simply associated with the church or associated with God, but God in in Christ fundamentally changes our identity. It's not that we add God on, it's that God completely changes us and unites us, listen to this, with Christ. He brings us together with Christ. You see, salvation is not simply about doing the right things. Salvation is about being with Christ. It's about being identified with Christ. Now, as a Christian, we do the right things. But it's because of who we are in Christ, not simply doing the right things for the sake of doing the right things. And this is what this passage begins to teach us. Now, if we look at the text here, look in verse 3. It says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now notice what he says. As many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death. What does that mean? It's it's not easy to understand that. It's not easy to try to figure out what it means to be baptized into Christ's death. What is he talking about? He's talking about being identified now with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we... Baptism is a beautiful picture of this. When we baptize, what do we do? What do we say? Baptized, it's symbolic of the death, the burial, and then coming up, it's the resurrection. We're identifying with that. But the Apostle Paul says that there's more going on than just symbolic. You were baptized into death. The old man, the person that you were before you came to faith, has died. That person no longer exists. You have identified with the death of Christ. He died when Christ died. She died when Christ died. And there are implications that flow from this. It says that we have, we have been identified and baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into His death. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... Now, here's the implication. Even so, we also should walk in a newness of life. Even so, we walk in the newness of life. Now, there's something here going on that we call the great exchange. And Paul talks about this in Romans 5. And if we don't understand Romans 5, we're not going to understand what's going on in Romans 6. See, in Romans 5, Paul talks about we being identified in the first Adam. Now, here's what that means. This is what the scripture said. It says that death reigns in Adam. Sin reigns in Adam. In Adam we sin. Now you know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In that beginning he created Adam and Eve and he made them his special children. They were fundamentally different than all of the rest of the creation says that Adam and Eve were created in the image and they were told to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth and rule it. They were to make worshipers of the true and living God. They had one law, one prohibition. Hey, you see that tree over there? Do not eat of that tree. You guys know the story? What happened? 
They ate. They ate of the tree. Those actions would fundamentally change the relationship of God and Adam and Eve, of Adam and Eve to one another. Their relationships were fundamentally different. And it's in Adam that we find sin and pain, heartache, brokenness, and all that plagues this world. And we share in that because we're like Adam. We sin. We sin. I didn't have to teach my three-year-old. I did everything I could do to keep him from not sinning. And what did he do? He still sins. I didn't teach him to lie, and he lies. Why? Because he's in Adam. But the Apostle Paul says that there's a second Adam. The last Adam. He is Christ. And in him comes life. In him comes holiness. In him comes salvation. And do you know what Christ did? The Bible says that he fulfilled the requirements of the first Adam. He didn't sin. Christ kept the law perfectly. And then what we have now in Romans 6 is what we call the great exchange. And what this means is that Jesus on the cross took my sin and He gave me His righteousness, His obedience. He gave me His good works and He took the old Jonathan. It's called the great exchange. He took the penalty of my sin And gave me His righteousness. It has made me new. It's not that I'm the old Jonathan and I don't do the things I used to do. It's that Christ has created me a new creation where He lives and indwells me. I have His righteousness that fundamentally changes everything. Amen? Christ fundamentally changes everything. I am made new. Why? Because I've been identified, baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What was lost in His death, what was gained in His resurrection, is now mine. It's yours. And that fundamentally changes everything. The apostle continues, and this is what he says in verse 5. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death. Certainly we also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, here we go, was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Listen, This is not an imperative. This is not a command. This is a statement of fact. If you are a believer, the body of sin is done away with. Sin has no power over you. It died with Christ. And your new life of holiness and righteousness... Resurrected with Christ. I was asked not long ago, how do I know that the resurrection actually happened? Well, that's a good question, is it not? 
because I'm a new man. How do you know the resurrection happened? Because you're a new man. You're a new woman. God has transformed you. That's how we know the resurrection happened. (laughs) The scriptures use the language of we are no longer slaves of sin. Think about that. I can't tell you the number of people that have told me I don't want to affirm Christianity because it's going to keep me from doing what I want to do. The Bible says they're enslaved now and they don't know it. Freedom is in Christ. It's not in sin. Sin enslaves But freedom, true freedom, is found in Christ alone. And this is what the word of the Lord teaches us. Verse 7, for if, excuse me, for he who has died has been freed from sin. There's that language, freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Listen to this. Death no longer has dominion over Him. You want to learn how to live forever? Live in Christ, because He lives forever. Live in Christ, for He lives forever. Again, we're continuing in these gospel indicatives, these statements of fact. For the death that He died, He died once for all. And the life that He lives, He lives to God. What is this saying that this gospel, this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we as the people of God have identified with that. Our sin was crucified on a cross It was given to Christ, and Christ then gives us His righteousness. It's the great exchange, and it changes everything. About three years ago, my dad called me out of the blue. It was 4.30 in the afternoon. He called me, I said, hello, and there's this long pause. I thought, oh great, what's going on? He said, son, you're not going to believe what just happened. And he's kind of breathing a little heavy. I'm like, oh, okay. You got in a car wreck. He's like, no, no, why would you think that? I don't know, you work on the road, you know. He goes, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, okay, what? He goes, I was listening to a radio preacher. And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Just kidding, it's not that bad. He was listening to a preacher named Alistair Begg. And he said, he said, he was he kept talking about this, this thing, this great exchange thing. Have you ever heard of it? And I thought, yeah, I've I've heard of it before. He goes, Do you know that Jesus took my sin and I got his righteousness? Listen, my dad had been in the church. Over 50 years. Friends, this is a gospel. I said, Dad, this, that's the gospel. This is the good news. It's not that I clean my act up. It's not that I do the right thing. It's not that I get to go to heaven when I die. It's that Christ has taken the penalty of my sin. He's taken my sin. And given me his life. And friends, that changes everything. It changes everything. And notice, this is what I love about it. Up to this point in the text, there's been nothing but statement of fact. This is what we call grace. I have not had to do anything in this process. God has been the one acting on my behalf. 
That's grace. Because guess what? I don't deserve that. But the apostle now moves to what we would call a gospel imperative. That is, there are particular commands that flow out of what is true. And what's happened in the Christian walk, in the Christian church, is we've got these things reversed. We think the commands lead us to the gospel, when in fact the gospel leads us to commands. Listen, if your obedience does not come from the gospel, it will wane. If your obedience does not come from a true heart that has been surrendered and lives to God, it will wane. And you will grow tired and weary because it's motivated by the law and not motivated out of grace. Now, I want to be very clear about what this text teaches us. It does not teach us that we can now love God and go do whatever we want. In fact, for some of us, that would mean we probably wouldn't love God at all. What this text teaches us is that our obedience and our obedience to God's commands flow first out of a heart surrendered to the cross who's living in God. That means it is gospel motivated. Write this down if you're taking notes. Gospel motivated law keeping. Gospel motivated obedience. That's what the Christian faith is all about. And notice what the text says now in verse 11. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves... Now, this is the first time we get to a command. Reckon yourselves. Consider. It's the declarative kind of... Declare yourself. I love what this says. To be dead... Indeed, to sin. And again, it's an emphatic. You're not just dead to sin, you're dead indeed to sin. It's an emphatic nature of the, of the text. You are dead to sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm dead to sin. It's true. You are dead indeed to sin. But it's not just that we are dead to sin. It's that we are alive to God. See, there was an old Puritan preacher named John Owen. He would say this. He would say, uh, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But then he also had this thing, he would say, there's two, there's two parts to the Christian life. There's mortification of sin, that means killing sin, putting sin to death, but then there's also this other thing called vivification. It's living to God. It's living to God. It's not just that we put off sin, but it's that we live to God. It's not that we quit doing what we used to do. It's that we actually live and love the creator of the universe, God. We can't get these confused. If you just put off sin, chances are you're going to find something else that's going to appease you. You want to find your highest fulfillment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your highest fulfillment is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice also in verse 12, we see this. Verse 11 says, we were dead to sin and alive to God. And then verse 12, it starts with therefore. Now, when I, when I took interpreting the Bible, my professor would say it this way, therefore is therefore a reason. It's a, 
It's showing us the implications of a truth, is what it's doing. So, if we are indeed dead to sin and alive to God, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present yourselves as mem- present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness for God. Now you see what's happened here. It's because of who you are in Christ that motivates your morality. The law can't do that. Only the gospel can do that. Do you know the only thing that prevents me from being a horrible, horrific, terrible man? It's not the law. It's Christ. It's because Christ has declared me to be new. He's declared me to be different. He's declared you to be different. Christianity is not merely about getting to go to heaven when we die. That, of course, is a part. But that's not the whole. We think we can live however we want to. And get the benefits of God's work on a cross. But the scriptures teach us that the benefits of God's work on the cross are about the here and now and how we live now. It's about making us new. Where we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. For His good works. Now notice, I want to point this out. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now we begin to get in specifics here. We begin to realize that this is, he's, the apostle is talking about the body. He uses the language of a mortal body. Do you know that God has created the entirety of the body to bring glory and honor to Him alone? This means that whatever you touch, whatever you see, whatever you do, is to be done for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to Christ. This would include your work, your relationships. Everything that you touch is to be brought under the Lordship of Christ for His glory and His honor. Think about this. What would happen if your salvation actually impacted how you work? I'm not saying that you quit your job and you become a preacher. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is imagine what would happen if in the everyday, mundane areas of life, they were actually lived to the glory and honor of God. Imagine what would happen if we had a generation of workers that worked unto God's glory. Doctors, lawyers factory workers, teachers, that everything they touch and they saw, it was transformed by the glory of this gospel. You see, friends, what happens is we separate our salvation from our life today. And Paul says, your life today flows out of your salvation. The Apostle says, I 
Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present them as instruments that are alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This means everything you touch, everything you see, everything you do, it speaks of the righteousness of God. Let me, let me just take a moment. I don't want to beat this. But is that true of us? Is it true of us that everything we touch, everything we do, everything we say, everything we see, that it speaks of the righteousness of God? that it's often not the case. Finally, in verse 14, and I love what this says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Now here's something fascinating. We had a 12 gospel indicatives, 12 statements of fact that are true. Then there were two commands that come out of that. And now the apostle is back to the gospel indicatives. He is declaring a statement of fact that sin does not have dominion over you. You know what this means? This is a declaration of victory. If you're in Christ, you don't stand defeated. You don't stand oppressed. You don't stand enslaved. You have won victory over sin. You know what this means? This means because of the work of Christ, whatever sin remains in your life, you have victory over it. Amen? I don't know about you, but that's something to get excited about. This has implications for all areas of life. This same victory is victory that God has won over poverty and over war and over all of the dreaded things that happen. Victory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It defeated death, hell, and the grave. All of the implications for Adam's sin, our sin, doesn't have dominion over us. It doesn't have rulership over us. Christ does now. He now rules all things. Friends, this is good news. This is good news. And notice what the apostle then says. He says, for you are not under law... But under grace. What's his point? His point is that the law, the intended purpose of the law, was to show us our need for a Savior. It's to show us that we can't keep the law. I can't even keep a speed limit, much less the Ten Commandments. Thank God that I'm not left up to myself. But it's by God's grace that He would send Jesus to take the penalty of my sin. And He would give me, you, His righteousness. 
This changes everything. Think about this with me for a moment. And we know this story. It's happened here in this church where we've seen someone come to faith. My own experience is with a friend named Rig. Rig had lived a tough life, brought up hard, was in the military. One point in his life, Rig was actually angered towards the church, towards the gospel. Rig had been in and out of trouble, in and out of alcohol rehabs. He had experienced great difficulty. Multiple broken marriages. All of which, of course, was not his fault. But a few years back, something interesting happened to Rig. He, he started drinking coffee with a pastor named Brad... They discovered that they were friends. Soon Brad began to share the gospel with Rig. Rig soon began to have real questions. He read the scriptures. He began to think, maybe there's something to this God thing. Rig soon came to faith. He was baptized... And many in the community thought, it'll be like many of the others who come to our church and are baptized. They'll leave. We won't ever really see any fruit from Rig's salvation. Something different happened. The gospel took root in Rig's heart. His life has been transformed. And this hasn't just been his ticket to heaven. Friends, it's changed everything. Riggs now been sober for four years. Has not had one ounce of alcohol. His marriage that was on the verge of divorce has now been healed. Riggs' anger towards people in the community, in particular Christians, has now been healed. Rig is a faithful man who loves his family and is trying to regain relationships with his children that have been lost and broken. Rig's work has been shown to be exceptional. In fact, a man on the verge of being fired from his job is now the best worker in a company. He finds joy in his work and sees his office as an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Christ. His work is a testimony of God's grace. Rick's neighbors recognize that he's joyous and actually friendly. He's not an angry, bitter man. What we might say of Rick's life is this. He has been transformed by the good news of the gospel. And friends, some of you are like Rig. You too have been transformed by the power of the gospel. You've been made new. Some of you here, I fear, have not been made new by this gospel. Many of you have been trying to fulfill the law by every good work. You're tired and you're broken. And you're wondering if there's any truth out there. Friends, you've tried to embrace a false gospel. 
one that is not of the Scriptures. Embrace the true Gospel that Jesus died. And He was buried and He resurrected on the third day. And His resurrection won victory over sin. Embrace that. Identify with that. Submit yourself to that truth. It changes everything. Some of us here as the church need to be aware that it is the good news of the true gospel that motivates everything we do. And that needs to be a reminder to us. To not embrace false gospels, but to embrace the transformative gospel of Jesus Christ that takes us out of death into life. Friends, it's only in Christ. There is no other way. Others have tried it. But there is no other way. This is our invitation. That if there are those here who need to respond in faith, trust in Christ, His finished work. After I pray, I'm going to ask you to come. As the body of Christ, as believers, we need to realize that this gospel motivates everything we say and we do. It's not the law, but the gospel. You respond accordingly as well. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice for your goodness to us. Lord, we are grateful for this, these truths of the Scripture that draw us in to you, that draw us to the true gospel. They remind us of the work that you've done on our behalf. And Lord, how that then sends us back out to proclaim this good news and its transformative power in our life. May we believe today.